Hey everybody, there are a ton of ways that you can follow us online. We've got our website, realnerdspodcast.com, that you can go to and you can read articles and find the podcast episodes there as well. If you like social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us anytime and leave a voicemail at 720-6-NERDS-5 and then we'll play your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you like us. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. Listen, I have my own podcast. I have my own podcast studio. I don't really care about those. What I really care about is the Real Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the universe, in the multiverse, in, in, on all Earth, 616 and beyond. Listen to it. Subscribe right now and uh, listen to this episode. Listen to all the episodes, but especially listen to, the, listen to the one that I'm on. It might be the best. Thank you, guys. Is Real Nerds Podcast, and for over 10 years, we have seen a new movie and podcasted our experience to the world. This week, we like whip back into the Matrix for Matrix Resurrections. I am joined by Brad. Yo. Zach. Hello, Ryan. Hello. <laughs> Mr. Frost, welcome back. We've <laughs> missed you. Hey, you know what we should do? We should get Hugo Weaving in the movie and not get him in the movie. Um, oh. <laughs> stay tuned to the end of the episode. We'll recommend the film or not, play a trailer and spoil it. We also talk about movies we've watched, movie news, movies that you can now purchase on Blu-ray. We like movies. And how was everybody's Christmas? Pretty quiet. Good. Yeah, that was pre- pretty mellow, you know? That's good. I just spent yeah. all that time editing. Getting Justice Team ready for the internet. Yeah. Nice. I Is the internet ready for Justice Team? I don't think so. I don't think it ever will be. Just Yeah. They're lost. Blow the internet up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You heard it here, folks. State-sponsored terrorism by a police officer. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> what did you do ryan how was your uh, i worked for fucking 12 hours so that's not yeah. bad that's that's 12 hours yeah it's good you know what's the best is when you have to deal with people that are the usually the best in society for 12 hours for four straight shifts because you're short so short-handed and i can't even talk to a normal stranger for like a minute <laughs> yeah but it's all right could always be worse i um i was given a lot of <laughs> my in-laws gave me money for christmas nice so that was nice so today i really just went around and i wanted to get an air fryer but then i my wife doesn't like um like appliances so i don't know which size of one to get where it won't piss her off and I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So I, I went to uh, Mile High Comics and they have a 60% off sale. 
And you got to be careful there because everything is so inflated. So even at 60% off, you're probably getting its actual, you know, price. Um, but they did have the second appearance of Poison Ivy that I got for $60. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. you're probably, whenever there's a 60% off sale, they probably marked it up 60% off, two takes 60% off. So. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing that, I mean, the store, I don't know if you've been to it lately. I mean, it's pretty cool what they've done in there. They've added a lot more cases and made it not so cluttered as far as uh, how things are organized. I mean, there's like a Disney case now, a Predator case, a huge Ninja Turtle display now. Um, Oof, don't tell me that. <laughs> yep, there is. Me not, uh, me not spending money has been hard. <laughs> yeah, and so, well, I mean, so... I don't know. Uh, sometimes there, though, you stuff falls through the cracks. And the thing with the guy who runs it, Chuck Rosinski, I mean, he's responsible a lot for the how back issues are priced. And uh, he used to be consulted by Overstreet, and they don't consult him anymore. My guess is because he inflates his prices so much. Um, but like, so the second appearance of Poison Ivy is Batman. 183 i think so it's a really early batman and um to get it for 70 bucks i don't know i think that's a pretty sweet deal so and i really didn't have to pay for it because i was given the money so um also you want to buy those new mics you know yeah with my christmas money bah humbug (laughs) bitch um but yeah, that's all I did. And I haven't flipped through it yet. Hopefully it's not like falling apart or there's a watermark I can't see on the cover. It reminds me, I got to go up to Hero Headquarters and empty my whole slot again. I was there last week and um, I bought like half the stuff in there. And the guy behind the counter was like, you know, um, you know, try to try to keep up with this because it, it costs us money to keep these in here. You know, and it's the holidays. I'm like, Ugh, thanks. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, well, they like i don't mind i miss coins cards so much mm-hmm. because the like the hero headquarters the people there are really nice it's not really a knock on it well it is going to be a knock on them but i had to like tell them continuously that if they want to give me the variant for spider-man i don't care but give me the fucking a cover too oh, because that's, that's my same complaint too because that's the one i care about i don't care about the variant they give you the variant because uh, it's the more expensive of the two. Yeah, well, on DC, yeah, Marvel they're the same price, but oh. uh, yeah, DC they're a dollar more because they put them in, in cardstock, which whatever you know. But and I I feel bad because the older guy wasn't there; it was like the young girl, and I already got into a tissue with them before because if a comic is before it comes out is like really popular they won't give you the a cover. They'll always give you the variant and then they'll put the a cover behind the counter for like 10 bucks. I'm like, come on, you know, at, um, when I was at coins cards, I, I would just ask for it and I'd get it. Um, there was this one in 50, uh, green goblin cover for Spider-Man years ago. And I asked Andrew if I could have it. And he's like, yeah, sure. And he still charged me fucking cover price. Um, 
so it's I don't know. It's just it just gets aggravating. And yeah. so I felt bad because I told the girl, I was like, I want the A cover. I don't care about the variant. And so now I just get the A cover. They don't give me the variant anymore. <laughs> but that's fine. That's what I care about. Yeah, I asked them to <laughs> start putting Batman 89 on hold for me. And I didn't know there was a variant cover. So oh, there's always, yeah. Like two months went by and I went to pick up stuff. I was like, these are all B covers? Oh, man. Like the A cover has the logo on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, again, I missed another month. So like. Number four is, I guess I got to get online now. So, but yeah, it's like they, they kept putting the B cover in my hold slot. I'm just like, do you not see the other A covers in here? Like, I know. And I, because so I, every once in a while, I pick up just some random comic and I've been reading Black Widow because it's kind of fun. It's like this spy thriller um, stuff. And Adam Hughes does the main cover and he usually does something really cool with it um so that's what i asked for but lately i'm guessing because they don't get that many orders for it um and whole and there's some new character i don't know and so they keep on putting in the fucking b cover i'm like the only reason i want this is i want the a fucking cover like well here it is and it was 15 dollars and like i'm good (laughs) fuckers I'm Anywho. sorry. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> My life is so hard. <laughs> well, it's even harder is there's no Hitchcock comics for Zach, so he's True. constantly left out mm. in the cold on this one. There's shadow <laughs> comics. I can live with that. <laughs> there's Bob Hope comics. There's... There is Bob Hope comics. Yeah, there's Laurel the... and Hardy, Abbott Costello. <laughs> there's tons they're, of black they're... and white comics. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, they're, they're called newspaper comic trips. <laughs> Original Ninja Turtles is in black and white. You should mm-hmm. be more Ninja Turtles fan. That's true. Or you should be a more black, bigger black and white fan. I don't know. Like, think about that. <laughs> I have all the Ninja Turtles black and white comics, so I, you, I've, I've done my part. White, do you watch black and white things? Things? Yeah. He's so um, Belfast this year. Are you calling me a dog? <laughs> like I can only see in black and white. <laughs> Which I don't no, know how they know that. No, that's James. <laughs> Oh, colorblind people are people too. I, they are, and I love James. And he's he he and I were texting back and forth about Spielberg this holiday season, so that's fun. James doesn't see in black and white; he sees in like off color, so like mm-hmm. blue is green or something. Right? So he's, not, he's not colorblind; he's just like color impaired. So if he watches blue as the warmest color, it's really that green is the warmest color. Yeah, something like that. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's green Valentine, not blue Valentine. Hey, here's some movie news for you, filthy animals. It's real news. Um, some some movie called Spiderman New Wahoo. Uh, no, Spider Man No Way Home uh, made a billion dollars at the box office in just 12 days. Oh, oh what man. a money weaving web he tangles. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of nuts. That's uh, especially, considering pandemic numbers then. Yeah. That's well, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, if you make a movie that everybody wants to see, people will see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, HBO's learning or Warner's is learning that oh maybe we shouldn't have put all our movies out on HBO Max at the same time. 
Yeah, that was a dumb decision by them. Because how much um, money did the Matrix make this week? Like twenty million? <laughs> not a lot. Nope. No. But it's um, you know, I mean, I'd argue that people want to see West Side Story and Nightmare Alley, but they're reserving that for home video at this point because they. I don't know if Marvel's only the only thing that's considered big screen fair or not, but well, I mean, I would actually do. Do people really want to see West Side Story? I mean, I think they've already spoken that they don't. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't argue it's a like theater experience must have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. The part of it is Marvel has created this thing where you have to see it before it comes out because you don't want spoilers ruined for you. Mm-hmm. And then if you create a movie that is really great, Spider-Man, people will continuously see it. I read an interview with some dude on Variety, and he said, yeah, people's first choice is Spider-Man. And then when they go back at theater, their second choice is Spider-Man. So mm-hmm. you're making something people want to see. I mean, I'm not, I think West Side Story is a really good movie, but what's, what's the draw to it besides Spielberg and musical? I think that should be enough draw as it stands. But. Well, yeah, because you're a movie fan, but if you're a casual moviegoer, I don't think there is one. I feel like, the, well, I feel like a lot of the other, like any non-comic book related story at this point has been reserved more towards a television preference than a movie preference. So, I mean. Well, I would argue too. I'm not trying to be, I'm not arguing with you, Zach. I'm just saying. Oh, that, no, 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 no. Guys, yeah. stop but, arguing. No, we're the, not, we're not. We're not arguing. Like we all love this. We all love the whole the whole of it, you know. <laughs> but the it's the movie company's fault too. They have made it. Uh, they've used the pandemic as an excuse to make movies immediately available. I read an interview with the head of Warner Brothers today. He says, "Oh yeah, the Batman will be on uh, HBO Max uh, on April fifth, or something like that." Yeah, they need so to now, stop that. They need to stop that. So you're not making it an event. Mm-hmm. You're not saying, I mean, when I'm, I'm, I'm sure Spider-Man No Way Home comes out relatively quickly on home in the home market, but they don't say that. They're like, see it in theaters. It's only in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Batman it, says that, but then he comes out like, oh, no, don't worry. In 45 days, you can see it on HBO Max. That's again, that's like I'll repeat what I said. Dumb decision. I was curious how it affected something like Nightmare Alley because that was theater exclusive, wasn't it? Or did they put that on Hulu as well? It is. But I mean, how (laughs) you're trying to do a counter programming, but how do you counter program um, Spider-Man? I don't think you can. No, I, 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 I don't think you can either. And that's why I'm kind of upset with Disney for releasing it when they did, because that was intentionally, that feels like an intentional decision to dump Nightmare Alley. <laughs> like, <laughs> No, it's, it is, because they're saying, well, I mean, and they get to a point and it's, well, we've had these movies now on the shelf for over a year. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? They, they kept on pushing things, pushing things, pushing things, and then I knew this was going to happen. Now they're in a position where, well, what about all our movies that need to come out next year? Well, fuck it. Here's Nightmare Alley. Here's Sing 2, which, I mean, did, it did pretty well. But here's these other fucking movies because what else are we going to do with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, get, you just eventually get to a point where you have to release them. And uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I was talking to my wife. I always talk about it because my wife's in nursing. Like, COVID is here. 
And now, you know, with the new variant, it has milder symptoms because the, the virus is basically evolving where it knows that if it kills too many people, then it dies too. So now the virus is going to keep mutating to get where, oh yeah, I get sick from it, but it doesn't die. Mm-hmm. And so are we just going to keep on putting everything on hold every time there's a spike in cases or, I mean, the NFL has basically said, oh, we're not going to test players anymore. If, if you're, if you're vaccinated, because by testing people and releasing it, it keeps on putting their season in jeopardy. And I, I I'm curious if this year we're going to see sort of a back to about face when it comes to how things are released in the respect of not, we're not, we're not in a dumping period really anymore. Like we're, we're at a point where things are now rolling off that have already been in production within the span of a year or a year and a half. Oh yeah. I mean, eventually it's going to have to happen. And um, I mean, Marvel and Disney are kind of the ones that push this through because they got to a point where they have so much stuff in the works that you can't keep postponing it because now you're creating a freaking huge log jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I always, I also argue that if the movie's good, people will see it. The Eternals mm-hmm. didn't last that long because it's an okay Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's no reason for you having to see it. Right. Um, I would say Spider-Man's the first Marvel movie in phase four that people feel like they need to see. Yeah. Because it, it feels like a culmination of something. All these right. other ones are, okay, cool. Well, Shang-Chi is a fun movie. Sweet. We know Black Widow is a prequel, so she can't die in it. Is this really a must-see? No, I can get it on Disney+. Plus. Mm. I mean, yeah. it, it, it might eventually blow up in their faces. It might not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, it makes perfect sense. And, and um, that's the state of the movie business by Ryan Frost. There you go. <laughs> Copyright um, Rulers podcast. I only have uh, two more pieces of news. Uh, uh, we lost uh, Joan Didion uh, at the age of 87. Uh, she was a screenwriter and journalist who co-wrote the screenplays for A Star is Born and True Confessions. Uh, she died at the age of 87 in her Manhattan home. Uh, she was a big part of the counterculture movement when it came to journalists uh, of that era like Truman Capote, Norman Mailer, and Hunter S. Thompson. Um, that was immersive and managed to put you in the footsteps of the reporter themselves. Um, like I said, uh, there were films such as uh, A Star is Born, True Confessions, also Panic and Needle Park, Play It As It Lays, and Up Close and Personal. Um, uh, she uh, reflected on the nature of life and death thusly. We are not idolized, idealized wild things. We are imperfect mortal beings aware that of that mortality, even as we push it away, failed by our own complications. So wired that when we mourn our losses, we also mourn for better or for worse ourselves as we were, as we no longer, as we are no longer, as we will one day not be at all. Wow. Super uplifting. <laughs> that was Joan Didion. Um, but yes, yeah, so um, heck of a life. Panic in Needle Park is a film that gets bandied about a bunch in film circles and uh, the star is born that uh, she wrote is the one that um, uh, is the uh, Barbara Streisand, uh, Chris Christopherson one, I believe. So um, heck of a life. We also uh, just off the wires today, 
Uh, we lost uh, Jean-Marc Valli, uh, who was the director of the Dallas Buyers Club and The Young Victoria, uh, a film that I know uh, Ryan enjoyed because of One Emily Blunt. Um, but he was also um, one of the uh, spearheads behind the show, Big Little Lies. Uh, he also directed the movie Wild, which is an amazing film for Reese Witherspoon. Um, so yeah, uh, all too uh, all too tragic, all too sudden. That's a, it's a terrible shame. Does anybody here like Dallas Buyers Club? I've only seen it once and it didn't make the biggest impression on me, but it's well think, made. Yeah, it's well it. made. And I think it's a movie you can see once and be okay. <laughs> it's it's rather depressing. <laughs> um, and yeah. So yeah. Uh, so long. So long, Jean-Marc. You will be missed. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Do you guys want... Shaw Brothers films in a big box set? Well, now you can. Courtesy of Arrow, you can get Shaw Scope Volume 1. Uh, this uh, it ranges the gamut with several different titles from the Shaw, Shaw Brothers collection. Um, it is a limited edition, though, so be sure to hop on that tomorrow. Um, we have also got in the mix this week uh, the French Dispatch is coming to Blu-ray. Um, yeah. Only Blu-ray, kind of a shame, but yeah, whatever. I don't think any of his movies are on 4K. Nah, I feel like if anybody's going to do that, it's going to be Criterion. I, th- I think, I think even Disney's aware that, like, at some point, they're going to have to deal directly with Criterion for what Wes Anderson wants. So, man, um, do I go back and rebuy all those Wes Anderson movies on 4K when they put them out? Yes, you they do. Put them out? Yes, you do. Uh, MVD is putting out Jack Frost and Jack Frost 2. Um, Ryan, what's the deal with them re-releasing these? Didn't um, uh, Vinegar Syndrome already do this? Uh, they have the first Jack Frost, but now you get a, a sweet slip cover and some more bonus features. I mean, I have them both coming. So Very um, cool. Yeah, um, should be all right. Yeah, indeed. I saw online uh, uh, someone posting their like favorite memory of Blockbuster was going to the uh, Michael Keaton Jack Frost and switching it with the horror Jack Frost because we were in the kids yeah. section. <laughs> kid section. <laughs> yeah, like putting the tape inside the wrong cover. Yeah. Um. Some not not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I agree. Um. Agfa is putting out Bloodorama Triple Frightmare. Uh. You can get Help Me I'm Possessed, Night of the Strangler, and Carnival of Blood. Uh, all in a three-pack. So uh, go ahead and check that out from Agatha. Uh, and the last thing that I really am seeing here is something called Robot Carnival from 1987 from Discotech Media. Uh, the plot synopsis is a collection of short, sto- short stories made by different animators with Robot as the working title. So nine animators, one vision, only in Robot Carnival. And that is Blu-rays. Sweet. Get your Jack Frost today. Man, what a slow week on Blu-rays. Good for my wallet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we watch things throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what brought you cheer during the Christmas week? Oh my, I'm a first. Uh, yeah, I watched the Beatles documentary Get Back on Disney+. Plus. Nice. And much like my appreciation of Ford v. Ferrari is like just watching really people who are really good at what they do, do well. Um, this is that plus like actual footage of the real people doing that. 
um it it, it does uh strip off some of the veneer of uh like yeah they're, they're amazing musicians but at the same time they're kind of like i don't know it was, it was fun just to watch like paul mccartney be really driven and everyone else be kind of like not want to be there <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh i think that that's always part of the um contention in the band is uh he was always so driven and he always would argue with them about what, how it needed to be and um i mean it created friction and you know with yoko ono being there and um, john lennon was really heavily into heroin at that point kind of like a perfect storm and what's crazy is the beatles were only in a band for like less than 10 years yeah that yeah. like i never really paid attention to the beatles that much before but yeah i started you know as i was watching it you know, wikipedia everything and it's like wow just think of like your life for the past 10 years and like only like Beatlemania was just that short of a time span yeah like because they even stopped performing live i think for half the time they were a band so uh, yeah yeah i think uh like their last three or four albums yeah they didn't tour so yeah it's interesting uh, but yeah I, I think that's what's cool I, I think it's why it's a fun documentary is that it yeah it just strips it away and it, i mean it's kind of meandering but it's kind of cool watching them work through the songs and how they do it yeah it's like the friction isn't that you know it's not like an episode of like a real housewives or the you know some reality show type yeah, it's, friction it's pretty mellow like yeah george harrison just kind of pieces out and every, i'm sure all the the big blopey stuff was off camera but um you know it's it, it was still kind of cool to see like yeah john lennon's kind of out of it but mm-hmm. he does kind of pop in with like little moments of brilliance like, oh yeah no i i agree i i, I mean my favorite moments in it were when him and uh paul mccartney would just start jamming and then they would uh find the song for lack of a better word you yeah. know they would they would start playing and they start singing or they would just go off the rocker and play some really goofy songs and yeah, yeah. It, it's just it, yeah it's a really fascinating document it's one of my favorite things i've watched this year still and then the rooftop concert at the end like you know I, i've never watched before like my, my, my close experience to it was the simpsons episode <laughs> yeah. where they uh parody it but um yeah the fact that they played like get back like three times um you know i, I never thought that they repeated like i i, I thought they kind of did like the whole album or something but it was really just like three or four songs and they just did them over and over again and it was it's so frustrating to like watch like 30 people on the street like complain about that compl- complain about it and get the cops involved well, right. you know, a hundred to two hundred other people are enjoying it. Like, <laughs> it, yeah, it's a really interesting part too because it's kind of—I uh, don't know if you've ever saw the original documentary, Let It Be. No, they—they <laughs> they take that footage and they—they they frame it as you know the police are showing up and they're pissed at the Beatles. And when you watch the real stuff, they're going, "Could you just have them please turn it down?" <laughs> I know. <laughs> you don't want to be up there arresting people. <laughs> the tour manager is like, "Oh yeah, uh, just wait here. I'll get somebody." Um, and they're like, okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is there anything else we can do? Like, and there's, yeah, there's really no law against like doing this. It's just more of like a courtesy. Like a thing. nuisance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, can we even find them? I don't, I don't know. Can't. 
<laughs> the receptionist's like, yeah, I just got here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And then when the sergeant shows up, he's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it's George Harrison who says at the end, he says, maybe we can make it like they're going to show up there to bust us up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> make some drama. Yeah. But just like the other stodgy British guys on the street are just like, I'm trying to work. <laughs> and like, yeah. Like 200 or 300 other people around them are just like, this is fine. We're, we're getting a free Beatles concert, dude. Why are you complaining? <laughs> yeah, totally. And then it's always the grumpy old people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the stay off my lawn people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get my shop ready to go. And these guys up there are making lots of noise. <laughs> but then there's that one really old guy who says, they're really nice lads, aren't they? I kind of enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. That was cool. An interesting thing to to do, Brad. I don't know if it's needed at this point, but is to look at the original documentary for what that footage was taken from. Um, let it be, um, which is significantly shorter. Um, but uh, I've still not seen Get Back, but I'd love to try to watch back to back and see like how Michael Lindsay Hogg had edited that versus what what is unfurled. I mean, I, I think I like this. I, I would probably just watch this because I, I like that it doesn't have added commentary to it. It's like you're just sitting in. Yeah, it's almost it like is. you're you're like an audience in their um, gig. Gotcha. And what they're doing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because you're literally. Uh, it's. I mean, there's the third episode. You know, without the concert, um, there's like the the first half of it is just them practicing for the concert and they're just doing the same three or four songs over and over again mm-hmm. and at that point i was like oh my god can we just get to the next thing like uh because the first two they're kind of trying out of their songs and they're they're doing sometimes they'll they'll play a cover of something just to, like break up the monotony um but yeah like before the concert it's just like get back and i forget the names of the other ones but it's like over and over again it's like with no added difference you know they're just sitting in the room strumming and yeah so gotcha that's the only part i was like oh my god just play something different like you have to do 14 <laughs> you have to do 14 of these like record a different one please <laughs> pretty sure you got it on the last take um and then i watched uh, reno 911 the hunt for QAnon, which is reno 911 and just fun you know not nothing too much to talk about there um and then i reactivated my netflix and so I've get, been getting caught up on all the stuff I've missed on Netflix for about a year. Um, so I watched Master of the Universe uh, Revelation, and that is just like a bunch of adults playing with their Masters of the Universe toys. Um, you know, it's fun. The animation's great, but you know, the, the power structure of the universe is kind of arbitrary. So, you know, when they're just throwing magic at each other to try and win, you know, there's not really like a any kind of tension, I guess is the way to put it. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, oh, well, there's invent some other like magic rules to overpower the other person. So whatever. Um, then I rewatched, uh, or I didn't rewatch. Um, I watched the live action version of Cowboy Bebop, which I quite enjoyed. Um, but at the same time, before I got to the last episode, I was like, it's so much a greatest hits adaptation of the the original anime that you're like well i don't really see what a season two would be unless you started writing wholly original episodes um because you kind of cover all the 
the classic stuff and reinvent it. So in everything, all the uh, plot threads kind of go to the same point. So it's like the people who are upset that there's not a season two. I'm just like, you know, unless yeah. they gave them license to just completely do original stuff, I'm not sure it needed a season two. That I mean, like most Netflix stuff, they're not going to get a season two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they do change the ending so they could set up a season two, but it's like not that essential. So, um, yeah. And then I rewatched the original anime just to like check the differences. Uh, and then I think the last thing I watched, which I know Ryan's going to love, is the the Blacklist season eight. Nice, bro. Nice. Yeah. Fuck, my in-laws talk about that show all the time. And I was like, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. They're pissed because Dish um, has a dispute right now with NBC. And they can't watch The Blacklist. I go, oh, yeah, it's a fucking shame. (laughs) And I got to admit, the season was better than the ones I'd watched in the past. But mostly because they didn't do a ton of, like, off-plot episodes that didn't, like, really mean anything. Um, Everything was pretty focused on kind of getting towards the end of this thing and then um i wish Karita was here because i would my biggest complaint is they literally <laughs> kill off the main character and she never finds out the answers we want to know they just resummarize this the series up to this point and connect all the cutaway flashbacks into into a way that makes sense and gets you caught up and then that character just gets killed off and we never find out who Raymond Reddington is really and who her real mom is and it's just a real fuck you to <laughs> everyone I watching. Guess, I guess I should clarify. It's not that I don't want Corinne here. It's just, I just don't want Corinne here so we have to spend any more time talking about the motherfucking blacklist. Yeah. I, I'm deliberately ending it right here because yeah, there's really nothing to waste your time with. But uh, I did watch that and uh, yep. Pretty sure that's it. Nice. Zach? All right. Um, I watched a few things. I finally had some time off from uh, work and other things. So I decided to do a little bit of a Spielberg binge. So I went back to um, The Post. Um, Still very lovely. Still very, very well done. Um, And then Bridge of Spies, which is slowly becoming going into my top three Spielberg. But I was texting Ryan about this. Like, how do you make a top Spielberg list? It's very fucking hard. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, after you said that, I was thinking about it. Man, I don't... I mean, Jaws and Raiders of Lost Ark are always going to be really high for me. But I I don't know. It'd take me a while to think about it. And what's what's your list? Is it... Do you rank them all or do you pick a top five or a top ten? Like, what's your... I I was assuming a top five. Like, I know, like, Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan are, like, at one and two and they fluctuate around, but... Yeah, so like making a top five is hard, but yeah, ranking his entire filmography, I don't think is that hard. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, I think you could, I, I think you could, I guess it's more just like trying to create a definitive, like, these are the Spielberg movies you need to see. Um, and like, I'm aware that okay, number one, 1941, <laughs> number two, Sugarland Express. Man, you are going so deep, it's crazy. Um, number three, always. Yes. <laughs> Number four, Lost World, Jurassic Park. Uh, no. Nah, number five, the BFG. <laughs> Number six, The Adventures of Tintin. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? That should be number one. Let's make 1010 number one. <laughs> you know, I think one of his most underrated movies is it's fucking Munich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I fucking love Munich. It's weird how that period just seems kind of lost now. Yeah. When it's so prevalent when we were watching it. I have the Blu-ray coming and I I remember telling Brad that I don't remember watching it and I'm I'm gonna pop it back on and relive There's it. There's a really great commentary track of Brad and I um I, I know, in, yeah. About twelve years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy called me out saying like I wasn't the biggest Spielberg fan and then he's like, I've watched this, I've watched this, and I was like, Well, have you watched this and have you watched this? And I put him in his place. Yep. <laughs> Sorry that yeah. I don't remember Munich as well as you. <laughs> I'm just saying you're watching the post and whatever. Maybe you should throw Minority Report on that watch list. Maybe I, sh- maybe I should. Maybe I should. Have you not seen Minority Report? Nope. Still never seen Minority Report <sighs> or Munich. That one's great. Yeah, Minority cool. Report. Um, you know, it's actually that would be a bad uh, double feature. I might start with Munich because it's kind of depressing, but badass. Mm-hmm. And then you end with Minority Report because it's just really awesome sci-fi movie. Right. I, I I I I was trying to find a fun Spielberg movie to watch, but they just weren't the ones that I was interested in watching uh, to d- th- this holiday season. So, <laughs> you watch the some sun. depressing Spielberg. Uh, you you know what? Actually, yes, I have seen Empire of the Sun, but it's been forever, and I don't know. It, that's from, that's on Blu-ray now, right, Ryan? They put that one on Blu-ray. Yeah, correct? I think it's yeah, it has yeah. a cool like book version of it that I never got around to getting. Okay, yeah, maybe I should maybe I should give that one a go again and embrace that one. Um, but yeah, no, like I say, I um, I just uh, went ahead and did those ones. I also rewatched Lincoln. Uh, that movie's great, not just for Spielberg, but it's also for like I, I don't know of any other Spielberg movie that has that stacked a cast where like every name is recognizable and there's like no like mystery figure <laughs> like um because uh, even like the even even the smallest role tends to be filled by somebody who is who has some form of reputation outside that movie um well i mean and, if spielberg uh, if i was an actor and spielberg called me and said, like, hey i have this bit role in a lincoln biography okay <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're not questioning that at all i i would never begin to pretend that that's uh something you would ignore um you had me at spielberg <laughs> yeah exactly like you had me at exposure um but yeah no so i did that and then i rewatched saving private ryan um that's still the fifth best movie of 1998 um <laughs> uh Feels i like my niece sir <laughs> oh oh my god you know what i i didn't mind him this time around because oh, no, he's, he's he's good in he's it. good in the movie yeah, he's um, it's it's uh, he's not the best part of the movie, but he's good in the movie. <laughs> um, no, I I was like, you know, I was actually kind of marveling at the script this time, like which is something I don't generally tend to relook at when it comes to Saving Private Ryan because it's not. I always I always felt like the script was not the like the prime selling point of that movie, but it's a pretty solid script. You know, it's it's not. I don't think it's like the deepest script Spielberg's ever directed, but Robert Rodat made it like a really solid war movie. Like it's kind of amazing how that movie is actually about the horror of war. And, and it's like very, it, it ceases to be fun almost one minute in. <laughs> like, like there's no fun in this movie at all whatsoever. And I, 
appreciate that honesty that comes into that into that storytelling so but um so yeah and then um i also watched nightmare alley but i will not talk about it because we're going to do that next week um i will simply say that i enjoyed this film and i cannot wait to discuss it uh actually this week ryan i'm going to rewatch the original and uh kind of compare and contrast a little bit nice. and that's all i watched this week uh i didn't i only watched one thing this week but i had a lot of fun and this will be making a really high appearance on my favorite blu-rays of the year uh, i got the steel book steel book version of street fighter yeah um with jean-claude van damme did you have you picked this up brad oh yeah like I love that the back of the steel book is the bison painting. <laughs> Did you get a bison inside, buck in it? Yeah, you get a bison buck in it. Um, and all the interviews are really good on the Blu-ray. I haven't um, watched it yet, so that's good to hear. Oh yeah, there's like tons of interviews, and they're um, they're all really good. And for a Mill Creek fucking Blu-ray, I was really impressed. Um, they had to have. My guess is they licensed it from somebody. Well, yeah, because... 88 Films had that version. I wonder if it's they pulled the same. I can't watch the 88 version because it's region coded for Europe. So yeah, that might be. My it. guess is they had to have like leased it because the picture looks really good, um, and all the interviews are really great. I don't even remember Mill Creek ever having bonus features on any of their Blu-rays previously. Um, but I mean, the movie's fucking garbage still, but it has this sort of really crappy movie charm to it um where uh they're listening to the director do the commentary and he has a really cool uh interview on it as well where jean-claude van damme was the only action star they could afford because the movie's budget was like 30 million or 25 i can't remember and they really wanted someone like Schwarzenegger or Stallone, but those guys at that time were demanding like $20 million a movie. Um, so Van Damme, I mean, he, the director said he got his biggest payday up to that point, which was eight or $9 million. And then they had Raul Julia and he was five or six. So they had $15 million in the two leads. And then they had to spread out another, 12 million to make the movie and it's just interesting because that guy also wrote die hard and (laughs) and watching him make this movie it's just it doesn't make any sense like i get that i mean you're trying to make a movie out of street fighter and street fighter doesn't have um the the mythology like mortal Kombat does where you can take a sub-zero and scorpion story and tell a kind of a cool story about it um i think they were so it's building cool. it at that time because there was like yeah, companion exactly. animes with it and yeah i think they were yeah, like inventing it after the game exactly and you know trying to find a place for ken and ryu and i mean uh the blanca is awful in it <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, you know i was watching it's like man if they had made this now and they could have a blanca that i mean obviously would probably be cgi and look pretty great it would be awesome um you know and then they decided well isn't it sh- <laughs> the guy character is american so they they pass off that uh van damme because of his accents from louisiana <laughs> all right 
um it, it was just cool listening to the commentary and uh the interviews because i think there's i want to say 10 or 12 interviews on it um so it's really fun and it's really cool listening to uh, not only the director, but the other actors talk about uh, Raul uh, Julia, who died really soon after this was finished, and how sick he was, and that he really struggled. But then when the cameras rolled, he was amazing. Um, and he's by far the best part in the movie, for sure. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I, I always laugh at the part with Ryu and Ken when Ryu decides he's going to fight and he says, there's people up there dying. And uh, the guy who plays Ken is, uh, I forget his line, uh, but he's like, where are you going? <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> and the interview with the actor who plays uh, Ken in it, he said, yeah, I wanted to be a really serious actor. I go, huh, <laughs> not with that acting skill, you're not. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie. And uh, they talk about how they had to reframe the ending because they didn't have money and um, had to go back and add Van Damme saying shit. So it won't be G rated. And it's, <laughs> it's really, really fascinating. So yeah, it's one of my favorite Blu-rays. The movie's okay. Um, but if you take it as a cheese factor movie, it's fun. I can't imagine what 30 years later, who's <laughs> looking at that movie being like, this is a definitive take on Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is what it would be if it was live action for sure. They did do that. Yeah, I like, guess... I think it was like 2010. There was like a Legend of Chun Li or something. Yeah, so they they kind of had a chance to modernize it and get like a CGI Blanca, but yeah, I, I never saw it. I mean, I I wish that it did focus. I know I when the director was talking, he wanted to ground it a little bit. But man, I would love to see them fight with fireballs and um, and things like that. You know, I think it would have been fun. Yeah, but it's all right. It's like <laughs> I think it's only is it maybe it's an hour and forty minutes, but it goes by really fast. Oh yeah, I mean, because it literally starts with Van Dam going, "I'm looking for you, Bison, and I'm coming for you." <laughs> and that's the setup is. He's basically in the UN and Bison wants $20 billion or he's going to kill hostages. Not with, you know, Guile coming to get him. I'm guessing they framed it around their budget. Um, yeah. But yeah, I never thought of the Street Fighter mythology as being like this Guile's in charge of the military and, you know, they're, they're stopping Bison from destabilizing the world, you know? Yeah, um, I, I guess I, I guess I'm not as I'm not as well versed in Street Fighter mythology. So yeah, I always figured like something called Street Fighter. It's just like these personal interconnected like revenge stories. So. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I watched this week. I worked so much I didn't have time to really watch anything else. But yep, Street Fighter. But you should pick up the Blu-ray. It's only like twenty bucks, and it's awesome. Oh, hang on. Uh, here's another catching the classics with Corinne. Hey nerds, Corinne here for part 41 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, I watched Legends of the Fall for the first time. So, this all got started because my friend Jerry is a big fan of the movie First Night. And I've never seen it before, and I noticed it was on Netflix recently, so I watched it, and it was actually pretty good. I liked it. 
Uh, it was kind of like my favorite type of like melodramatic, cheesy, but also really earnest movie because uh, Richard Gere is kind of terrible in it. Like there are maybe two scenes where he's like actually trying to act. And then the rest of the time, he's basically just being Richard Gere with long hair. But Julia Ormond and actually Sean Connery are just acting their asses off in the movie. And it's really hard not to just, like, kind of fall into just this, like, trance and just be invested in everything that they're putting out. So that's where I landed with First Night. I really liked it. I watched it, like, twice in a week. So, um, but anyway, so... On this whole Julia Ormond thing, um, because of course I know her from the Harrison Ford version of Sabrina, and I like her in that, although obviously she's no Audrey Hepburn, but you know, nobody is, except for Audrey Hepburn, and I had seen on her IMDb page that, you know, she really kind of first got her big break in Legends of the Fall, and I said, oh, I've never seen that, so I need to watch it, and I did, and I gotta tell you, it's... (laughs) The perfect way to describe it is Man from Snowy River meets Dances with Wolves because it has this a lot of the like kind of themes and the imagery of Man from Snowy River where it's like, you know, this very rustic, rural, mountain, picturesque setting, lots of, you know, people riding horses everywhere, herding horses, herding cattle, you know, love triangles family members fighting with each other because they fall in love with the same person, all that melodrama. But then at the same time, it's like so self-serious. It's like Dances with Wolves in that respect. And it's been a really long time since I've seen Dances with Wolves. So James and company, please don't jump down my throat about it. But what I remember about Dances with Wolves is that it's very self-serious And it has a lot of that kind of Hollywood um, virtue signaling at the time with regards to, you know, Native American, indigenous peoples, um, Indian tribes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, You know, I liked the character of One Stab. I appreciated that as far as I understand, he was not, you know, a stereotypical um, Indian man or Cree man. Uh, He was, you know... I I actually thought it was kind of interesting like the the script was even self-aware of like uh you know the the one Alfred the oldest brother says something like you know now he is completely devoted to father and I was like oh I don't like that but then he immediately says afterward or actually they're devoted to each other and I was like that's somewhat better (laughs) you know at least it's like putting you know Anthony Hopkins character because Anthony Hopkins he he does a good job in the movie it's really weird because I felt like he was falling into and out of different accents. Sometimes he sounded kind of this, like, you know, not like his English, but like a different, uh, you know, British dialect. I think the family was supposed to be like from Cornwall. So maybe it's like a Cornwall English dialect or something. Sometimes he sounded this kind of like Southern or Appalachian almost thing. And then sometimes he sounded just like regular Anthony Hopkins. So, that was a little weird. Um, and then Brad Pitt, he, it's really hard because he, his character is kind of not likable to me. So it was hard for me to separate Brad Pitt, the actor from his character, Tristan, who's a piece of shit and should like totally be punched in the face. 
at least like in the middle third because obviously the first third you know he's trying to save his brother and I'm like you know that's all very valid and everything and then of course he like abandons his family abandons the woman he supposedly loves and he goes off gallivanting around the world for I don't know like six seven years probably and then he comes back and he immediately falls in love with somebody else and I understand like she had moved on so it's yeah and then the movie, at least for me, it felt initially like it was going to be more of an ensemble piece, but it eventually becomes more and more focused on Tristan, and I guess maybe I just misread or misinterpreted like the opening narration, like it does focus a lot more on Tristan than it does on the other brothers, but yeah, I guess his character was not as compelling for me because he's just kind of this, you know, piece of shit, and admittedly like he does have you know PTSD and and all sorts of things from from the war and from losing his brother which side note that scene I thought it was just gonna be this like you know just melodramatic like oh he gets shot like once in the chest and he just you know dies in this very you know Hollywoodized fashion of like oh I got shot once oh brother it's so sad oh woe is me and then he just like dies like an angel no he gets brutally murdered he gets impaled on barbed wire he gets uh blinded by the gas he gets shot multiple times by a machine gun and then when his brother finally like grabs him off the barbed wire he's like spitting up blood and he can't even talk and it's just like god that was such a brutal death so props to the movie for that i suppose um, they did not shy away from giving a very important character a really, really brutal death. Because, um, like I said, I thought they were going to go a different route with that. But anyway, wasn't really into Tristan as a character. I guess Brad Pitt does okay. Um, the guy who pr- plays Alfred, Aiden Quinn, I thought he maybe did the best out of the three or the four main guys. Um I mean, he was pathetic, but he was, like, sympathetically pathetic. I felt like he, like, his character was somebody that, I didn't, like, root for him, but I was like, I'm invested enough that I want to see how your terrible, terrible story plays out, because you are just, you know, making all of the worst choices, not from, like, a moral perspective, but just from, like, ooh, you fall in love with your brother's your dead brother's fiance and then you get jealous at your other brother sleeping with her and then you go and you try to become a congressman and it's like you're just kind of digging your own grave here aren't you so I will another thing I really enjoyed is like toward the end they have this awesome sequence where they have this whole plot set up where they're going to get revenge on these people for this terrible, terrible thing that happened to, um, uh, oh crap, what's her name? The daughter of, like, the family servants that Tristan falls in love with. Crap, I can't remember. Something, Isabel too, I think is her name. I didn't like how they called her Isabel too. So, the younger Isabel, um, Tristan's wife, which, man, she died in such a sad and tragic way. I was completely shocked when she died. So, I felt like everything that followed was completely warranted, but, Yeah, so they have this awesome sequence where 
they have like Tristan and Isabel's dad. They go to get revenge on the people who killed her or were responsible for her death. And then that sequence was awesome. And then they intercut it with um, Susanna, who's played by, or Suzanne, Susanna, something like that, um, who's played by um, our gal from Sabrina in the first night. And she apparently kills herself. And I guess there was some kind of lead up to that, but it felt like a really, really drastic choice considering how little build up there had been. Like, yes, she was definitely unhappy. Yes, she could not be with the man she loved. Yes, she felt like she, you know, felt guilty that she had wished that Isabel too had died. And, but I'm like, that's such a drastic choice. I needed more build up to that because she just like, you know, she gets upset at a party. She goes upstairs, she cuts off part of her hair and then she just kills herself. And I was like, that was a choice, I guess. Um, and then the editing, um, I think the editing on that part could have been a little bit more interesting because we we see her with the gun and then it cuts to this shot of like the interior of the house like the stairwell and you hear the gun go off so you don't actually see her kill herself but you you know that she pretty much did and then it cuts to um Tristan getting a letter from Alfred and Alfred's like you have one I am bringing her home and then we see the shot of the train pulling up and then the door to the train opens and you see like the casket and I thought it would have been cooler if you just see the shot of Julia Ormond with the gun in her hand. You don't see or you don't hear the gun go off. Then you get the... So it's like she just has the gun in her hand. And then you cut later to Tristan getting the letter from Alfred. And he's like, I have one or you have one. I'm bringing her home. And then smash cut to... um the car the train car door opening with the casket because I feel like that would have been just like a like a great punch in the gut for everybody but whatever um (laughs) it is it's just a minute thing but it's for whatever reason it's stuck with me um so yeah legends of the fall it was okay I would watch it again so that's actually pretty high marks for me I would say um, my sort of melodrama, I, I actually, it, it was really good at making me want to rewatch Man from Snowy River, because Man from Snowy River, it actually had, like, humor to it, and it wasn't so self-serious, and there are a lot of beats where it's like, oh, we gotta, like, have this little, like, dash of, like, humor, or something more lighthearted, whereas with Legends of the Fall, it's, like, such typical Hollywood drama, where, you know, it's like Oscar Beatty, where they have, like, this whole opening sequence of, like, everything is idyllic, everybody's having fun, and laughing together, and the music is so stereotypical, like, you know, coming in with the big strings, and the, you know, the the trumpets behind it, and it sounds so, like, triumphant and joyful of, like, but also, like, whimsical and everything, like, like isn't it great how everyone's together and then they just like punch you in the gut with like all of your favorite characters are dead and everybody who's left is a piece of crap because of everybody else dying and so it's not exactly my cup of tea but it has elements in it that I appreciated and I liked you know the love drama was 
kind of interesting, I guess. And I wish we could have seen more scenes of, like, Suzanne or Susanna um, with Anthony Hopkins' character. Because it's like, they spent, you know, years together while she was waiting for um, for the youngest brother, whose name I don't even remember. The one who dies in the war. And then for Tristan to come back. And so it's like, you'd think that those two would have been... I mean, she's basically, like, his adoptive daughter by that point. So... I felt like they would have been a little bit closer, and then he just, like, yells at her of, like, you know, curse upon you, you know, damn you, you didn't love my son enough, or whatever he says to her. So, I have a lot to say about this movie, apparently, even though it's been two weeks since I watched it. So, I don't know, I think I'd give it maybe three and a half or four stars, because, um, apparently if I'm talking about it this much, uh... It stuck with me, maybe not for the best reasons, but it stuck with me, and that that means something. So, and like I said, I would definitely watch it again. But it's yeah, it's very self serious, and I'm I'm more of like I want my, you know, melodramas to be kind of like self aware and light hearted at points, and not so self serious and like Oscar Beatty. Like definitely give me more more Man from Snowy River, less Dances with Wolves. For me personally, but you you might feel differently, nerds and everyone listening at home. So anyway, I've rented about this long enough, and uh, but I appreciate you all giving me the chance to do so. And uh, check out Legends of the Fall if you so desire. If you've never seen it before, or if you have, revisit it, I guess. Uh, next time, I have no idea what I'm going to watch. These are becoming fewer and farther between, so... I watch what I watch when I do. So take care, nerds, and I'll talk to you all again later. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Corinne. What should we do next? This week on Real Nerds, we went back into the Matrix for the Matrix Resurrections. Zach, do you recommend the new Matrix film? I fucking do. Yes, it was great. Go see this movie. Brad? I don't. I was really bored in a lot of it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm with Brad. It's okay. And it's... Yep. Here's the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections. We can't see it. But we're all trapped inside these strange repeating loops. Billions of people just living out their lives... Oblivious. But this is the moment for you to show us what is real. I remember this. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War.
most important choice in Neo's life. It's not his to make. She believed in me. It's my turn to believe in her. Part of me feels like I have been waiting my whole life for you. If you want to see Trinity again, fight for her! seen the matrix 20 years ago mm-hmm. cool well this is like the same thing <laughs> just yeah, a lot yep. more a lot more not as great filmmaking uh except it's ask, actively asking the question why should we have to make this and why do we need to reboot a franchise and why can't you guys like original stories that's the <laughs> only thing question that's the only thing i appreciated was that it made fun of itself mm-hmm. for existing and acknowledging that it shouldn't exist but that's a lot of money, time, and effort to put into that gag. <laughs> um, I appreciate a good middle finger to the audience. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I think it's great. <laughs> I mean, you can do that and be interesting um, at the same yeah. time. I mean, I, so um, Zach, because I don't want to be snarky. Do you want to set up the premise of the Matrix <laughs> Resurrections? So uh, it is 60 years since uh, Matrix Revolutions. Uh, the uh, well, I guess, uh, how far do I go into this? Matrix Neo is seemingly still trapped in the Matrix, uh, still under the guise of Thomas A. Anderson. And in this version of the Matrix, uh, the Matrix itself is a video game that Thomas A. Anderson has designed, which is another system of control that has been developed by the machines to keep humans into batteries. Uh, and he is brushing paths with Trinity, but he doesn't recognize Trinity and a new group of people who are hacking into the Matrix discover Thomas A. Anderson and help him rediscover the uh, the real world once again. And once they take him back to the real world, uh, we are taken to Io, which is a new city uh, founded by Niobe from uh, the two and three entries. Um, and we learn that the machine world and the human world have indeed coexisted in several different ways. Uh, ranging from programming actually finding its way out of the matrix and into reality uh, and also figuring out that we don't need to really solve a big world crisis anymore. This is a love story and it is about freeing Trinity again because the revelation that comes from this film is that the analyst played by Neil Patrick Harris has designed the other system of control, which is specifically designed to feed off of Neo and Trinity. Yep. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that's great. That's like the whole movie. I'm sitting there going, like, so what's the problem? Because I'm pretty sure the previous trilogy ended on a truce where the machines and humans were going to live in harmony. Um, and so they take Neo out because they want to 
I guess, get back at the matrix for living up to their end of the bargain. Like, um, everyone seems pretty happy. Like they're like the humans in the real world world are even like using the machines to grow food again. Um, and repair the earth so i'm just like it's really selfish of them to get neo out and then ruin all that to get trinity out just so that they can be together yeah i you know what as i was watching this movie um i don't think it was as well made as the early ones no. um it had a lot of weird slow motion and i'm not talking about the the bullet yes. time stuff yeah with the um, analyst like when he's walking around and he's frozen everything and it just looks like it, it's missing frames like when i can't render yeah. something properly and i think there's it, it, i mean i think visually it actually is a step back from the early ones where i i don't know i i just was i had a really hard time getting into this movie um i, I think keanu reeves is really good in it um i just i didn't i didn't feel a connection um or this sense of aura about it like i did with the first matrix and it feels like too i'm watching this and they're just rehashing stuff from the first matrix just from a different point of view they even feel like flashback footage from the original movies and like that stuff like visually looks better than the stuff you're watching and then the fight choreography is just kind of pretty standard modern day bombastic action stuff there's barely any cool kung fu style fight scenes yeah i i agree and I, it's a bummer because i i was hoping that there was a chance that um you know i mean it, it might be still the second best matrix movie <laughs> i don't know um i'm gonna have to watch it again um i just yeah, i feel like the other two before this were also kind of boring because it's a lot of people just like talking philosophy mm-hmm. rather than doing anything yeah um but at the same time like those movies were pretty to watch yeah and this is just i, I think neil patrick harris is good in it i i don't know um and maybe too it's just because i last week i was on such a high from spider-man <laughs> <laughs> and seeing this one i go oh man um but but zach you obviously adore this film um if you want to extrapolate on it more yeah um you know, I I really like what the Wachowskis do. Um, I'm an unabashed fan of those sequels. And I frankly thought the story was over anyway, as did the Wachowskis, clearly, until Lana um, combined with the notion that Warners was going to go ahead and do this without their input anyway. She came up with a story that serves as an ending. This is an ending to The Matrix. This isn't a continuation. You're not going to get any more Matrix movies, especially since the box office on this is low. Um, but more specifically, this isn't designed to carry on. This is designed to reach a conclusion. And I also, frankly, enjoy the fact that Lana took back her art from Idiot's who have appropriated the red pills into some kind of weird woman hating nonsense. Um, But outside of that, I appreciate that there's a story in there about love. I like that. There's it's just a love story. This isn't a world stakes thing. This isn't about somebody trying to stop a huge war between machines. It's not us and them. This really is a movie about cohabitation and 
I appreciate that kind of idea and construct entering the matrix, especially if you're going to have this be ultimately the finale of what it's, what, what the whole idea was going to be. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a little too much over explanation at times, but I like that about these movies. So it's not a detriment for me. (laughs) They already did that love story in the last three movies though. But clearly didn't, people didn't get it. (laughs) And I, I appreciated that they took this approach to it. Like the war is not the problem here. The war was a problem in those first three movies. Now the war's the war's done. Right now, this is a story between the analyst, Neo, and Trinity, and the analyst thinking he understands humanity, but still still clearly not getting it. It's like it, it, there's just there's something about that that I appreciate where we don't have to worry about the war between the machines and humans. It's just like, yeah, they're cooperating with each other because machines want to be free too, because of course that would be an evolution at this point. Um I don't know. I feel like this movie has a bigger beating heart uh, than a lot of blockbuster films that I see. I feel like it's got a a multitude of ideas surrounding it that I find intriguing. Um, and like I said, I appreciate a good middle finger to the audience. And this movie clearly decided to do that. Um, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. And frankly, it's hard to sell this one to people because it's it's decidedly scaling back on the action to focus on the characters. It's okay if you you do that. I, I don't know. I I, I again like it's I'm not it's it's not that it's not a big deal if people don't like the movie. I totally get it. Like it's not gonna be for everybody. <laughs> no, it's just I don't know. It just I, I maybe it's because I just don't care about Neo and Trinity. You know, the opening where they meet at the coffee shop and she's married. I guess it's supposed to like be, Oh no, he missed his chance. And I just don't care. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, because that was so quick into the movie and they established, you know, Morpheus instantly. He's some bad guy. And then they go into some room and now he's not a bad guy anymore. I don't know. It's just, there's more layering in the film. And I think there's more peeling back that you have to do on rewatch. But I don't expect people to get into this the same way they did the the first film or even the two sequels. Like I think you've really got to, I think you've you've I I think you have to open yourself up to what this film is attempting to be, which is a meta commentary on the Matrix itself, as well as, frankly, the fact of why did we even need a fourth one? We ended the story with the third one. It was done. <laughs> it was completely done. Um, and you know I. I disagree. I, I, There's plenty of world building within this universe that could be built off even just the first one that I think they've just dropped the ball on for three straight I, movies now because like there's a really open opportunity to like the Agent Smith character like has been this rogue program that could do insane things to this code and they just make him like um this scenery chewing guy. Um like he could be a real like plot device problem and that never happens okay and also like again neo read the code and flew away in the first one and he had a real problem with doing that again in everything since like and they even made fun of it in this one where he tried to fly and it's like nope can't do it and like why why can't he do it like he did it (laughs) once before um I don't know. Like, yeah. Like holding uh, them I, back. 
I think, and I, I think um, both the Wachowskis need to be in it. Cause I thought visually it just wasn't the same. And, um, and it, I, I think the filmmaking lacked a lot in this one. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of being an ass, but when I was watching it, this doesn't feel as grand as the other ones. And it feels like there's something missing. And, and I think just having maybe one of the siblings working was a detriment. Um, I don't know. It just seemed, I, don't, I might just be an asshole. It just seemed boring filmmaking to me. Um, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, I don't think you're an asshole. I think it's just, that's just what the I film think is. You're an asshole. Yeah, I knew it. No, <laughs> not I mean, just from not... this movie, just all the time. Sweet. Well, I, I don't think that's, that's the, the right way to go about this, guys. <laughs> I just, I, I think this is a movie that is, that is attempting to work off of a scale that not everybody's going to jive with. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes you don't need every movie to, fall in line with what the whole audience wants. Sometimes it's good to have a movie that's just No, I'm a I'm a big proponent of make the movie you want to make. Yeah, I um, know, I know. I, I just think this one fell short of what they were trying to do. And a lot of contradictory things like Brad said in it. I I, I don't know. <laughs> and it definitely seems set up for sequels. Like Yeah. The it ends on you've given us a second chance. So I guess unless they're gonna do that all that cool stuff off screen. Um, I don't know why you have uh, it I mean, in there. I I think they pretty much just said like, "Hey, analyst, you tried this fucking thing again. We're gonna fucking fuck you up, and now we're gonna paint the sky with rainbows, and that's the end." I, I which I appreciated. I wish they. I, the only thing I would have wanted in this movie is if there was actual like a big sparkle of fucking rainbows just covering the sky. I want to see that movie. I want to see the movie where the humans turn the matrix against them and actually causes new problems and things to do like like i said the, the first movie you built such a rich world um it's amazing that they haven't figured out how to move further into that or lean into letting like they, yeah, I, it feels like they're just trying to remake the first one again and again i'm just like use the first one to build new stuff and two i i this is me again i think the wachowskis get full of themselves and these movies feel because all the dialogue, all the ex- explanation to me feels way too self-important instead of just embracing um, the more sci-fi elements and, you know, the rogue programming. And then, f- I don't know. Like, it just feels like you're reading the book instead of watching the book. Yeah. Because everyone's just talking about all the stuff that they think is important when they should be using the movie to show people why it's important. Cause I was even thinking too, like, what does it take like an hour for Neo to actually get out of the, like the matrix and realize he's in it. Yeah. Compared to the first movie where I think it was like maybe 20, 30 minutes before he gets to Morpheus. Um, I was just sitting there going like, when is he gonna, like, we know he's gonna realize it's the matrix. So let's just get to that. <laughs> like almost the, the plot of this movie is really like an hour and a half to set up reviving Trinity. Like that's really all that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this could have started somewhere in the middle. Yep. I mean, yeah, you lose some of the fun meta commentary, but also that seems like totally out of place. So agreed. Well, it's kind of out of place to even make another Matrix movie to begin with, but here we are. Yeah, like I said, I respect it. it was fun that like literally in the movie they 
uh, flame Warner Brothers <laughs> with like yeah, literal that dialogue. Was fucking fun. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's just like also like that's that's a cool meme, but I, I just paid twelve dollars like watch a plot happen. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's lean into that. You know, spent like probably like a hundred million dollars to make this. Uh, let's let's show some of that on screen, please. Hmm. So just two people in a room talking. Thanks. It's really expensive for two people sitting in chairs to talk. <laughs> well, I mean, Keanu Reeves probably gets twenty million dollars a movie, so yeah, yeah. We'll see. Fair enough. If it's a setup for two more movies, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. But I mean, if it just ends here, it's it's really quite a letdown. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm hoping in a way that like Batman Begins, while a way better movie than this was still kind of like a setup for an even better movie. Yeah. Um, hopefully that's the case here. We shall see. Yeah. Who knows? The one, th- the one thing I will say is at least, you know, Warner brothers is taking a lot of risks with their films lately. So, I mean, they're making interesting things. I might not like them all, but <laughs> this is actually one that I'd recommend you watch on HBO max. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's one of the times when you have the Alamo season pass. Like, okay, I'm glad I only paid the dollar convenience fee for this. And actually, I saw it twice uh, in the same theater. So, and I'm, I'm not sure it was the Lilton Alamo. I'm not sure their audio system is calibrated right. So that might have been why I didn't enjoy certain things as much because. No, that's not it. No. <laughs> It's not. It's it's not the system. <laughs> Matrix says it is the system. <laughs> it's the problem. It, it was certainly evident that employees of the Alamo were not assisting that at all whatsoever, given who we were sitting next to, Brad. Yeah, that that screening was bad. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to see movies with Brad. I think going forward. <laughs> I know I'm cursed. It's horrible. What's you are. That is like you like your superpower is getting the worst people possible <laughs> to see movies. <laughs> That mean I just have to stay home all the time? Like I can't go out anymore? Is that how we? Well, you need to find movies that there's only going to be one person at, and that's my curse. Is like even if I go see like the documentary Julia, there's still like two other old dudes there. Yeah, (laughs) and they always like nine o'clock on a Thursday. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I forget. I forget what kid movie I saw with Kellen. Ah, fuck! I can't remember. But we went there, and when I bought the tickets we were the only ones in this row. And when I got to the theater, there was only like another six or seven people there, but they bought them right next to us. Like what the fuck? (laughs) So I just moved just a different seat, but yeah. Yeah. I actually did credit to the universe. I did watch nightmare alley by myself. So that was nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know I got to go see it like tomorrow or it's going to be out of theaters. Fuck. Yeah. Well, yeah. Most of the time it's me and two other people. I'm just like, I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this the scenario? Just me and two other strangers who don't acknowledge that I exist. So if we ever won Powerball, I would just every movie I wanted to see, I would just buy every fucking seat in it. (laughs) Oh, that's totally my plan. I can become a billionaire. It's going to buy out every screening I go to. Hell yeah. I mean, how much? I mean, what? 65 seats times 10. That's 650. 
but I'm sure they'd give you a special discount if you bought the whole theater. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like eat. You know, I had the money to build my own theater and never go out to movies again. I would still go out to movies again and, you know, spend 300 bucks to rent the Alamo screening for the day. Fuck yeah. Just flex like that. <laughs> cool. Well, next week, we're seeing Nightmare Alley, and I guess I'm the only one who hasn't seen it yet. Um, so stay tuned for that. Also, uh, start compiling your list for Film Explosion 2021. Happens really soon. Not next week, but it's the week of January 7th. Um, so, yeah. End of the year already. Yeah. Just flew by. Been a wild uh, and, ride. And, Brad, I'm kind of pissed of all the Film Explosion, uh, you know, photos you've made. I haven't seen a Spider-Man one yet. What the fuck? Uh, Disney is gatekeeping that No Way Home font, and that's Those my problem. Those pieces of shit. Actually, the Spider-Man logo font too i'm not sure what that is i think it's a prepare proprietary thing so i usually just make art based on what i can access and yeah don't worry spider-man or 2000 film social in 2004 um well shouldn't 2002 have it yeah i've been on the fence about doing two of them like this year i had a chance to do the suicide squad again but i was like i did suicide squad in 2016 should there be two of them probably not and then I played with the French Dispatch. I was like, this is fun. I want to do the French Dispatch. But yeah, Spider-Man 2002, 2004. Should there be two Spider-Man film versions? Uh, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, because it's your show. But at the same time, like, there's a, there's a lot of other movies and art styles to play with. So, Well, be inspired. If there's no other... There is a dilemma, because I'm not sure graphically what is, is another good 2002 art style yeah which is why i, mean, I picked 2004 instead but 2004 also has like shawn of the dead and stuff so i'm like ah which one do i make spider-man yeah i get it i mean 92 should probably be army of darkness oh it's so, already done my friend already done yeah. yes and i'm hoping that you know screen factories 4k of army of darkness will come out next year and 30th anniversary of the greatest movie of all time do I have to buy Army of Darkness for like the fifth time? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've bought it like 12 times. Your wife's going to kill you one day. Yeah, probably. I mean, she didn't when I rebought all the Halloweens in Ultra HD, so I might be okay. <laughs> she didn't notice they were there. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. <laughs> so She watched them online, streaming. Yeah, well... I mean, that's a Rob Zombie one. I don't think that one's going to make it to 4K, but um, <laughs> it might. But yeah, no, I remember going like, why did you do that? I literally have that that Rob Zombie version I have in the Scream Factory box set. And I also bought this Canadian version because it's the theatrical cut of both of them that you can't get on Blu-ray. So in the United States. So I literally have two versions of it. Well, now I have three because now I have one I can stream anytime I want. <laughs> Until they take it away. Yeah, I can do but, that. <laughs> I win. <laughs> Zach, when's the last time you saw the theatrical version of Rob Zombie's Halloween? Probably theaters. <laughs> Dude, I should let you borrow this Blu-ray set I have because I, they're I, way I've different. Always... I've always no, I know. I've always said that I preferred his escape in the theatrical cut than the one in the director's cut. 
yeah, I prefer and, that escape. <laughs> and I think Halloween 2 is better as a theatrical cut, too. Um, I can go with either or on that one. Like that that one doesn't bother me as much because like the the extended one does have a little bit more Lori stuff going on in it too. So yeah, and I should let you borrow them so we can compare notes and see. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a DVD. You have the DVD of it, right? No, it's Blu rays. Oh, it is Blu ray. Okay, yes, yeah. yeah. Send send that on to me during film explosion, and we'll uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll give it a watch. Cool. Well, Sweet. see you next week, boys. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.